guys can be seated. We have had an awesome morning this morning. It's been a busy morning. Uh, in our first service, we were able to see four adults. Let me repeat that. Four adults step into baptism this morning, uh, which is awesome to, to see and be a part of. One of, the, one of the neatest things I got to see, because if you're, you're behind the stage here, you get to see a little bit about what takes place with baptism. And uh, before the first service, um, one of the ladies who's being baptized, she is a, a sixth grade teacher at Brown Middle School. And this morning, some of her teachers found her and, and were encouraging her in her baptism, not the other way around. And I thought that was a beautiful way to see baptism as those young students encouraged her in her baptism. I'm excited for that this morning. Also, uh, we had a team just return from Guinea-Bissau uh, where they were able to see and to experience and to help in the baptism of 17 uh, new believers there in Guinea-Bissau. Uh, and so I think we've got a picture of that baptism taking place there. Looks a little bit different than your baptismal pool here, uh, but, but a beautiful, beautiful thing to take place, and that's the church. Um, that's being built there in Guinea-Bissau, um, that you are helping build there in Guinea-Bissau. So a lot to rejoice in, but also a lot to prepare for. Uh, we launched last Sunday this season of sharing where we're inviting you to join us in this journey um, throughout the next 30 days leading into the Christmas season. Uh, and so yesterday we had one of our first ways to share and where we were in downtown Thomasville for the parade. And we had a couple stations set up where we were able to hand out hot chocolate uh, and coffee and just have conversations. Um, one of our team members got to pray with one of our police officers with a, with, with, with a young mother there that was there. And I got a chance to do that with one of a, a family earlier in the afternoon. So a great opportunity for us to share, to be a part of that. One of those events that's coming up in two weeks that we want you to be aware of, two weeks from today, actually, on a Sunday afternoon in downtown Lexington, excuse me, uptown Lexington, all right, uptown Lexington. Uh, some people don't like you calling things downtown, all right? We're going to go with uptown Lexington. Uh, but two Sundays from now, uptown Lexington closes down as far as drive tra- traffic um, and is walk traffic only on Sunday afternoon. Uh, our carolers are going to be there, but we also have gone in with a couple of church members who are business owners. Uh, and we have gone together to rent this Lexington Civic Center for that afternoon. And here's what's going to be taking place in the Lexington Civic Center that afternoon. Uh, how many of you are fans of It's a Wonderful Life Christmas mu- movie? All right. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. You're either one or the other. You love it or you hate it, all right? It's, it's one or the other. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, anybody like White Christmas? That's one of our families, all right? Um, on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, you can invite people with you to go see It's a Wonderful Life on the big screen um, at Lexington Civic Center. If you want to see White Christmas, you can go at 4 o'clock and, and see that movie. Uh, and this is, an, this is what this is. This is not an event to say, hey, we're going to tell you everything about our church and the pastor's going to preach in between the two movies. No. We want you to invite people who would never come in this building who might go watch It's a Wonderful Life with you somewhere else. And so we're working with them. We're providing that on Sunday afternoon. You don't need tickets. You don't need reservations. Uh, it seats, you know, eight, 900 people. So if we, if we overflow that, we'll be amazed, all right? So you can come and go as you please. Uh, when it gets cold outside, you can sneak in there for a few minutes um, on that Sunday afternoon. We'll tell you more about that next Sunday, and we'll actually need a few, to, a few of you to volunteer with us. The other thing that we asked you to do beginning last week was to begin praying 
every day at 5.05, either a.m. or p.m., all right? Some of you are 5.05 a.m.ers. You're ready to go at 5.05. You're already at work at 5.05. And here's what we're asking you to pray. Pray for someone that you know that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pick 5.05 a.m., pick 5.05 p.m., do both, however you want to do that. Um, why 505? It looks a little bit like SOS, which is season of sharing, all right? Not overly creative, um, but giving us some way to remember to be a part of that collectively as a church to pray. My prayer this week has been this. God, bring somebody new into my life who does not have a relationship with you. That's been my prayer this week. God, bring somebody in my life who does not have a relationship with you. Because as we saw last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we saw this truth. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we summarized last Sunday by saying this, every follower of Jesus Christ is called to be a dispenser of grace, a sharer of grace, someone communicating to someone else, sharing, living out the grace that we've experienced When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we recognize that we're sinners, we recognize we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. From that moment forward, every single but person in this room who's trusted in Christ, you are a dispenser, a communicator of the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, I told you all last Sunday... I was going to the state convention Monday and Tuesday where all the Baptists get together once a year, all the pastors, and I was ready because somebody always asks, so pastor, how many people do you have on staff and how many people do you have coming to church? I told y'all my answer last week was going to be, we have a thousand dispensers of ministers of grace, right? That was my preparation. Do you know that not one person asked me the question, I mean, it was just on my tongue all day Tuesday. I was just waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. You know, hey, pastor, and I never got to share it, so I'll share it again with you this morning. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to be a dispenser of grace. And, and I really believe that this passage this morning, as odd as it may feel as in the beginning, could be the most profound way for you to impact the life of fellow believers and non-believers this Christmas season. As we bring out this dispenser of grace thought and we apply it to verses 12 through 17. Because as we walk into these next 30 days, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, some of you walk through those 30 days that everything is merry and bright, holly jolly, everything's wonderful, it's a great, wonderful time of the year, and you kind of walk around like you're in heaven, like you're just kind of, everything's awesome, and everything's wonderful, the trees are decorated, the lights are beautiful. But this morning, I want you to realize something, and own up to this truth, that for many people, this week through Christmas are some of the deepest, darkest seasons of the calendar year. Painful seasons, seasons of suffering, seasons of loneliness that we're always looking for ways to positively, and we are, sharing the grace of Jesus Christ in wow moments. But in reality, we are surrounded by people without Christ who have painful moments, who are walking into this next 30 days, some with dread, quite honestly. Some thinking, here it comes again. 
Another morning to wake up alone. Another morning to realize what I've lost. We're about to enter this season of sharing, which we want you to be a part of. But I believe that God has equipped believers most effectively during this season that may also be a season of suffering for others, a season of pain. So I want us to lay the groundwork for that and then come back around to how do we live that out these next few weeks together as a body. Um, I know that you're going, wow, that was encouraging. Can't wait for the message, all right? Verse 12, here's what Peter says to the early church. After he's called them ministers of grace, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love his practical wording here. He says, don't be shocked when difficulty comes. When trials come, don't sit back. Don't wake up one morning and go, ha, why did that happen? You hear his practicality? He says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. It's supposed to happen. It's going to happen. It's a part of the brokenness and the fallen world that we live in, but it's also a part of you as a believer being tested. Don't be surprised, he says. You're being tested. It's not abnormal. Pain and suffering is not not something that's distant from us When we become followers of Christ, we go, oh, I've become a follower of Jesus. Now everything's going to be easy for the rest of my life. That's not in Scripture. In fact, I believe, as I've already stated, it is a preparation for us to be most effective in this broken world. He says, when it's happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed rejoice? I don't want to be insincere in this room this morning, or insensitive. Peter says, for us as followers of Jesus, to rejoice? Some of you, I'm looking out glancing. If I stared at some of you this morning, I, I know some of the trials you're going through, and he says, rejoice? Really, pastor? Really, first century writer Peter? Really? He says, rejoice, why? Because as we rejoice, you are getting a glimpse, a small glimpse. You are sharing in Christ's sufferings. The early church, when they identified with suffering, they counted it something worthy. They actually said, we rejoice in suffering. Peter says earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-7, through 7, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's our hope and our promise. It keeps going, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded for through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, so here's the promise. It is eternal. It is undefiled. It is without blemish. God's holding on to it through Jesus Christ. There's the promise. But what does he also say in verse 5? So we're bookending this series. 
He says in verse 5, the continuation, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. From cover to cover, he's saying to the early church, let me prepare you how to live in culture, how to live in the broken world that you live in. Be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to face trials. This is a long sermon point I'm about to give you, so we'll leave it on the screen. It's more like a, a sermon thesis, not a point, all right? Grieving as a response to our suffering and trials does not overcome our joy because our circumstances do not threaten the promises of God. There's a lot in that, but really it summarizes 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19, and, uh, I mean, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 3 through 7, and chapter 4, uh, verse 12 through 19. It summarizes all that, that there's going to be difficulty, that there's going to be trials, there's going to be grieving, but in that grieving, it should not overtake our joy. Why? Because the promises of God are still true. The promise of chapter 1 that a resurrected Savior is holding your inheritance and it's undefiled, it is without blemish, he's still holding on to you, is still true even where you are right now. And some of you are in a dark place. Some of you are in a painful place. And I want you to know that grieving is a part of who we are. He says grieving by various trials. We, we discussed that three months ago. It's normal to grieve, to go through difficulties. But the promises of God have not been overtaken. Unfortunately, here's the problem. We live in a culture of easy cultural Christianity. We want our best life now. We want everything smooth, everything easy, and everything with a smile. But in Scripture, he says, be ready for your trials. What if instead of your best life now was a smile on your face, what if your best life now was your best life includes difficulty? Your best life includes trials and suffering. The problem is, here's the overall problem, a different maybe whole sermon. The problem is we've built our theology on the American church that if everything's not easy, blessed, and good, then God has done something wrong. And the opposite is true in this passage. In fact, the early church said, hey, if we suffer, then we are more like Jesus Christ than ever. I love my pastor over here. I love his encouragement. You examine church history. We are in a new age. We are in a new age because we stand expecting a smooth, easy Christian life. And the gospel has been most prolific in being spread throughout the world when people have been persecuted the most. And so now we face difficulties and we shake our fists at God and say, what have you done? And he says, I've done exactly what I've promised. I've, I've done exactly what this broken world 
is capable of withstanding. And it hurts. And it's painful. And you're going to suffer. Don't be surprised. Church, don't be surprised. If you're in the middle of it, don't don't be shocked. He also goes on to say, verse 14, suffering is an opportunity to bring glory to God. Suffering is an opportunity to bring glory to God. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, Acts 5, verse 41 says, Then they left the presence of the council, this is the early church, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The early church, after simply in in going through a trial and a difficulty, they're walking down the street going, Yes, we're like Jesus. We've experienced just a small glimpse of his suffering and of his pain, and we endure that because now we are identified like Jesus. Giving glory in this passage, he says, because in that moment you are blessed because the spirit of glory, the opportunity for us, what does glory mean? To ascribe greatness and praise to someone other than ourselves. He said, in the moment of suffering, we have this available to us. Because in these moments of suffering, we discover how heavy we lean upon God's word or not. In, in moments of suffering, we, we experience trials. We begin to, to examine our dependence on the promises of God rather than on the lies of the enemy. During suffering, during trials, we bring glory to God in our adversity and how we learn from them. But now Peter's very honest and verse 15, 16, 17 are, are, are very difficult, especially verse 15, because often when we think of suffering, it is of reasons and things that we cannot control. We live in a broken world. Sin, sickness, death takes place. But verse 15 addresses this in a little bit of a different way. There are times when we face suffering because of our consequence of our sinful decisions. And we really don't like to admit this part. He says in verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Don't suffer because of your sinfulness. Question for us this morning, out of this, it's a hard reality, but a question nonetheless, are you suffering this morning as a result of your sinful decisions and your actions? Are you suffering this morning as a result of your sinful decisions and your actions? If I were to leave this room this morning and walk out about 300 feet to my right, I would be standing right in the middle of Business 85. And and if I saw uh, an onslaught of traffic coming, I have a decision to make as I stand there, move out of the way or get killed, right? I know, gruesome example, right? Sorry, that wasn't really PG for you with kids in the room, all right? But I, I, but I have an option to stand there and make a good decision or stand there and make a poor decision. Stand there, yeah. Stand there and make a poor decision or get off the middle of the road and make an incredibly great decision. One has incredibly painful consequences. And it is all up to my decision in that moment. Some of us, And all of us, at times in our lives, we make decisions against the leadership and the guidance and the counsel of God's word, and we experience consequence and suffering as a result. 
If we are unfaithful to our spouse, there is suffering and pain. If we are over our heads financially, there are consequences and there is pain. If we are insert any addiction into the line before that, whatever that addiction is, then that's going to lead us down a path where there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain. But know this in all those things. Know this if that's where you are right now. Yes, there are suffering and yes, there's consequences, but, but know this, there is a God who wants to meet you right where you are in your brokenness and pour out his grace upon you. You're not alone. You may be standing there feeling alone and lost in your decisions, but you're not alone. Scripture says that God will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And here we have this opportunity to respond to his grace. This is the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. But then verse 19, I want to make sure we get to this morning, says this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer, he says you're going to suffer, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Suffering reminds, these are my words, they're not perfect, all right? Suffering reminds me that God's ways are unfathomable, but his character is not. Suffering reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. We cannot begin to figure out everything that's going on in life and everything that's going on in the pain and the suffering and the trials and the difficulty. And we're asking those questions. And in those moments, God reminds us, you don't know what I'm doing. You don't have a clue what's going on here. You may think you've got an idea, but you do not have a clue. Why? Because I am God and you are not. But know this, in those moments, his character is never in question. His character, because of his promises and his word, are never in question. Because what does it say in verse 19? It says, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And not only is he a faithful creator, but he is a faithful savior. And so in the middle of your suffering that you're going through, in the middle of the pain that you're experiencing, know this. And I know this and walk through it with families more than I would like to. I don't understand all that's going on in this world. But I don't have to. Because I trust in the character of what we sang about before the sermon of a good, good father. Who is wise, who is holy, who is just, who is faithful enough to send his only son as a payment for my sinfulness. And because of that and his evidence throughout Scripture, I trust him and his character. His character is never in question. While suffering is allowed to enter our lives through God himself, we must remind ourselves that God is good, he's wise, he is loving, and he has shown that to us on the cross. Pain and suffering are an opportunity to turn our focus away from ourselves as we care for others. And so at the beginning of this sermon, I said, I think that this passage could be 
the best way to prepare us for a season of sharing than any other passage. And you're going, Pastor, are you sure you're studying the same passage I'm, we just covered? Because, I mean, this sounds really hard. This sounds really difficult. You're right. But I believe that suffering prepares us to be more effective as dispensers of grace. Suffering prepares us to be more effective as dispensers of grace. Not apart from dispensers of grace, but it is a preparation for suffering is equipping each of us, testing each of us, walking through pains, preparing us, experiencing moments of being downtrodden and weary, but being picked up by our Savior, by being faithfully mended and prepared and prayed over by fellow believers that God is preparing us to go out into this broken world to suffer alongside of those without Christ as they go through the next two holiday seasons. Last Sunday, uh, this is a common occurrence, maybe I shouldn't confess it, but it, it is what happens during, the, during your service, during the third service, during the invitation um, I'm reading about next week's sermon. Like I'm sitting on the front row like, whew, okay, I just preached three times. All right, let's get ready for next week, all right? And so last week I moved from dispensers of grace to verse 12. And I began to read down through that passage and I wrote on the back of my bulletin last Sunday, I wrote, who is God calling me to suffer with this Christmas? That's never a question I've ever asked in my life. Who is God calling me to suffer with this Christmas? And that may not be a question you've ever asked. See, last week we talked about sharing Christ and are there 10 people? You write out your Christmas list in the bulletin and you write out your Christmas list and you say, here's 10 people I'm going to give presents to. Who on the list knows Jesus? Is there anybody who doesn't? That was the action last week uh, of practicality. And some of you wrote down a whole list and realized you need to pray that God would bring somebody into your life that doesn't know Jesus. Some of you realize you've got family members who are, are going through and don't know Jesus Christ, and you're going to be around in the next 30 days. And, and some of you are still challenged by that, but I think this one is applicable to all of you, whether you're a child, a student, an adult, whomever you are. Who is God calling you to suffer alongside this Christmas? I don't think it would take long for you in your mind to go through this past year and think, who do I know who suffered this year? Who do I know who's gone through great pain this year? Who do I know that this holiday season is going to be difficult this year? And begin every day at 5.05 to begin to pray for that person, those people. Why? Because God has prepared us as believers for those moments when he said, be prepared. Don't be shocked by fiery trials. And don't wake up one morning and go, huh, I wonder why that happened. But instead, to never waste the pain and the difficulties you've experienced. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is the megaphone 
to rouse a deaf world. You may not know if someone tomorrow in your workplace is a believer or not, but you know if they've experienced pain this Christmas. You know if they've experienced pain the last year. You know if they've gone for months at a hospital visiting someone that's been sick. You, you know that when they enter this Christmas season, it's different. So are we going to be willing to be dispensers of grace who have been shaped by our suffering for the glory of God to point people to the promises of God and the faithfulness of God? I've been so awkwardly excited about this message this morning because I truly believe it is the way to equip us in this broken world to suffer with it in this season of sharing. Because not everybody is walking into Thanksgiving holly, jolly, merry, and bright. They are broken, lonely, tired, and weary. And the church, we must be those who've suffered and are willing to experience suffering with them as dispensers of grace. So the invitation this morning is going to be a little different. Uh, those of you who aren't used to Rich Fork know that the invitation is not always the same uh, and may require you to be involved in the invitation. And so I want to make sure this is not a hidden invitation. This is not one of those preacher sucker punches, Okay where I say something, close your eyes, and then get you to do something, all of a sudden you're going, oh, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for that, okay? So here's what you're going to sign on for in just a moment. I know that as we explore being dispensers of grace outside this room, that there are those in this room this morning that are in a season right now this morning, and even hearing this message this morning has been difficult because they're going through pain, they're going through trial, they're going through sickness, they're going, they've experienced recently loss. And so this morning, I'm going to ask those of you, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, to raise your hand. Our eyes are going to be open, all right? Because after that, I'm going to ask those around you to put their hand upon your shoulder, if they can't reach you, to, to look towards you, if they know you, um, and to come alongside of you, and then they're going to pray. Now, you Baptists, all of us Baptists in the room, I need you to warn you, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud, with the people that you're praying for, which means you're going to hear a bunch of people praying at once. It's not tongues, okay? I promise you. It's a beautiful moment of prayer as believers in Jesus Christ, all right? So don't panic on me. It's an awesome moment. And if you're here this morning and you say, man, I just, I just don't know if I can raise my hand. Somebody around me is going to know that my life is not perfect. Somebody around me is going to know that I'm in pain this morning. If you can't raise your hand here, then shame on us as a body of believers. If you can't find safety in this room, and so I'm going to challenge you that in order for us to do this, dispensers of grace through suffering out in our community, we've got to do it with each other as believers. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to, at the end of the prayer, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes, and we're going to walk through this together as a body of believers.